Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, October 27th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk some NFL with you here for week eight, talk a little bit about the Bermuda Championship, then get you on your way here for the rest of your Tuesday. Over at ATS.io, lots of great content. My updated college football power ratings, opening line reports for the NFL and college football. Just posted a college football article this morning with some situational spots, some betting trends, some other nuggets and news on some of the games here coming up this week. So you check that out as well. And I'll have recaps of what happened this past weekend in the Westgate Super Contest and also the Circa Sports Million. Both of our entries going three and two in the Circa here in week seven. Got a new promotion over at BetMGM for you to check out. Bet $1 on the money line for either one of the two teams on Thursday Night Football, the Falcons or the Panthers. And if a touchdown is scored in that game, you get $100 in free bets. You can read about that over at ATS.io. If you sign up through us over at ATS, you'll get up to a $500 risk-free bet with the promo code ATS. So head on over to the website and make sure you check that out. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and bring on Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. Talk a little bit of Week 8 NFL, a little bit of Bermuda Championship here. And, Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. We're slugging through this football season. It seems like we're going to make it, find it away. Um, some great games, some wild games uh, in relation to the number, missed extra points, bad coaching decisions. The Falcons find another excruciating way to – just gift wrap and give a game away one week to the next man yeah it's uh it's been crazy you know all these games kind of coming to a head at the same time it feels like too especially with regards to the circus sports million entry that we have i had the browns in that last week should have been four and one i go three and two because cody parkey misses the extra point that was a big swing game in the super contest as well Uh, like i said a recap coming up of those two contests today but you know, Brian, like you said, I mean, it's it's been kind of touch and go on the COVID front. We've had some cases. We've had some early week concerns. We've had some teams kind of isolate, go through the contact tracing process. But for the most part, you know, these games have, have pretty much gone off as scheduled and as expected. So, you know, kudos to the NFL and, and kudos to everybody involved for, you know, following the protocols and doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, uh, I mean, one week to the next, like you said, uh, we had the one week with Cam Newton, you know, it's going to come down to that. There's going to be that big game when, you know, an important player test positive. And then there's a luck factor. Uh, the Bills went to the Jets. They almost had no tight ends. Uh, their starting tight end, Dawson Knox, gets COVID. So it goes through the tight end room and they catch a break because Tyler Croft wasn't in the tight end room that day because his wife was having a baby. Other than that, the Bills would have had to play a game with no tight ends. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. And and now in college football, Wisconsin, seems like they got about 20 players that have it, the starting quarterback, the third-string quarterback, because Jack Cohen is hurt. They're down mm-hmm. to their fourth-string guy. And like we talked about in the MAC uh, last week on the show with Brad Powers, you know, the MAC is a mandatory 21-day absence if you test positive as a player or as a coach. So now Wisconsin really up against it. So hopefully those things are mitigated here as we go forward. I don't know things spiking across the country. We'll kind of wait and see, but you know, I asked you this question a few weeks ago and I guess I'll ask it to you now, 
like I said, I mean, things for the most part have gone off without a hitch. We've had some adjustments to the schedule. We've had some bye weeks shifted around, stuff like that. But you got to feel pretty confident at this point in time playing a lot of these NFL games early on in the week if you think there's some number value because a lot of them are going off and everything's been, you know, pretty, pretty good for the most part. And the line swings one week to the next based on the result. It remains this phenomenon to me of how, you know, fraternity, a line would move a point, a point and a half, maybe, you know, if you, Hey, I got a power ranking on a team. This is, you know, okay. They won. I'll move it slightly, but we're seeing three, four, five, the change of favorite kind of swings from one week to the next. It's, it's a remarkable phenomenon. And, uh, it's funny, I think, you know, you can almost identify certain teams that one that's sticking out like a sore thumb uh, is Tampa Bay, understandably so. But, I mean, they, they beat Green Bay, a game that was picked at the Raiders, ended up Tampa minus three, and it was the correct move. Tampa takes care of the Raiders, the Giants of the Giants, and that number goes from whatever, was it eight up to ten and a half? Uh, so it's funny that there are public teams – uh, even even in the opening line report now, it's it's a different world. Yeah, it it really is, and you know it, it's been it's been kind of interesting to watch, and and especially with regards to the college football side, where I actually do make my own numbers. You know, we have seen I think bigger overreactions than we've seen in previous years, but a lot of times they've been correct. They've been the correct case so far here. The overreactions to teams like San Francisco have been right. The teams like Tampa Bay have been right, at least over the last couple of weeks. So that will be something worth following as we go forward here. But, you know, again, it's one of those things to me where I I try not to overreact. I I try not to over-adjust my college football power ratings too much. And then my numbers wind up short or, you know, there's something else that goes on with that line that I didn't account for. And maybe that's just the nature of the beast, you know, especially because we've got, again, this is the first year where we've got 20 states betting on football so maybe those reactions are more warranted just because of the increased handle and the increased amount of money across the country here going into these games well i would say uh the san francisco ones one and one because they got mauled by miami yeah and they were a three-point favorite against the rams and after they got mauled by miami the rams went off a three-point favorite and then san fran got their act together and and easily handled the Rams. And then the next week, now, oh, everybody loves San Fran, and they go cross-country to New England uh, as a three-point favorite, and that was right. So, you know, it's like anything. It's almost like now we have to handicap the line move in the opening number. Well, let's talk about this Thursday night game. I know you've already done a video here for us on our ATS YouTube page, but, you know, I don't know how many people get to the shows on the day of, so I try to give as much lead time as I can Atlanta and Carolina here, two and a half with juice or three, the prevailing numbers out there in the marketplace. Total has come down a little bit on this one from 51 to 49. Short week, division game, two teams very familiar with each other. Figure that's probably the rationale behind the move on the total here. But just real quickly, because I know you you went more in detail uh, with your highlight video over at ATS YouTube, but what are your thoughts on this game here, Brian? Well, McCaffrey there's a chance McCaffrey plays um, probably wouldn't be a good idea. If you didn't play him this past Sunday, why wouldn't you give him an extra week and a half rest and make sure you got him the rest of the way? So 
I'm not buying that one. If he's good enough to play Thursday, then he had to be really close to play this past Sunday. But I think if you went inside that Carolina game, they really gave New England all they could handle. And that was in spite of the fact that they only had three possessions in the second half. Carolina's defense couldn't get off the field. You know, the one thing Arizona, or excuse me, the one thing Atlanta can do uh, is when they're having a good game is they can put points up and Brian's still capable of making a, an egregious mistake. Uh, I don't know that I'm on board with the move to the under. I, I'm kind of thinking if Carolina couldn't get, and New Orleans is pretty methodical, a lot of underneath stuff uh, against uh, the Panthers. I can see Atlanta putting points up here. And I in Carolina, you know, give rule credit, man. These guys are playing hard. Uh, if I had to play the game, I'd probably lean towards the over. Well, and as I look at this one here, looks like we've got some wind on Thursday in Charlotte. Thursday afternoon, we'll see if the wind stays heading into the evening, gusts up to 30 miles per hour. So maybe it's a uh, weather-related move. Uh, actually, more than anything here. Okay, you, you know what? And if I'm not mistaken, I, I look, with all that's going on in the world, I did notice there's another hurricane going in the Gulf. Um, so that may be the tail end. Is that the is that the tail end of that hurricane blowing through there? It could be. I, I think they said landfall for that hurricane probably Wednesday afternoon. But you know, it could impact some of the college football games during the week here this week. It could impact oh. some of the college football games on Saturday. Come on, let's play. Come on, let's play weatherman. If it's hitting the Gulf on Wednesday afternoon, then Thursday night it's in Carolina. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I, I haven't really looked at a, at a path for the storm here as of yet. But again, I mean, it's a reminder whether it's hurricanes or something else. Weather is a significant factor. Once we get to the fall, the winds pick up a lot more chances for rain and snow and stuff like that. So make sure you're checking those weather reports on all of these games. Uh, you know, again, it can be a little bit risky playing weather to weather related unders early in the week. If that forecast changes or something like that, but does look like maybe weather could be a factor here for Atlanta and Carolina. We'll have to see as we get a little bit closer to this game. And don't forget wind is the thing. I mean, right. you had snow in Denver. And the bottom line is the defenders are slipping and there were a couple of fumbles in the game early on that produced points. The ball was like a greased pig. So wind is the determining factor. The, the, the slick um, snow, things of that nature. Uh, oh, it's snowing. Play the under. It actually, I think, it, it actually leads to producing more points because the defenders are slip sliding away and the tackling sucks. So aside from the weather, the one thing I, I would mention here regarding Carolina, and I don't think McCaffrey's going to play. It sounded like after practice yesterday that he probably wasn't going to. Makes no but sense. I, but I'm going to look to fade Carolina in the first game that McCaffrey comes back because I like what they've done with Teddy Bridgewater. I like the offense that they've been running here without McCaffrey. And I understand McCaffrey is a great player, but, you know, look, they throw a lot of passes to him. He's targeted a ton those are short passes. They're not really chunk plays usually unless he you know, breaks a bunch of tackles or they're a bunch of missed tackles, something like that. I think it could actually interrupt any sort of momentum that this offense has, which is crazy to think about with a player of his caliber. But if he doesn't go here on Thursday night, I may look to fade Carolina in their next game with McCaffrey coming back. So that's just something to file away. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just kind of my thought on it. It's it's something to consider, but it's almost an unknown, like the Dolphins, and maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. 
But, but the one thing I would say is if he doesn't play Thursday, then Rule has the benefit of extra time to prepare to work on the things with McCaffrey back in the lineup. I, I, I like your thinking if, if they were playing Sunday to Sunday and it was a regular week, but I think with extra time to prepare, you're, you're certainly a better football team with him in than out. Well, that's an excellent point. That's definitely something that we can revisit uh, next week in advance of Carolina's next game. So technology permitting here, we're going to do a highlight video talking about a few different games for week eight in the NFL. I'm ATS radio host, Adam Burke, joined today by Brian Blessing of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And we're going to jump around the NFL card a little bit, taking a look at a few different games here to break down for our ATS YouTube channel. And we'll start with game 255-256 here, Brian. New England takes on Buffalo. Buffalo, three and a half, four-point favorite, depending on where you look. Total on this game has come down into the 43 and a half, 44 range. This would be, assuming this line goes off in that three and a half, four range, the biggest favorite role for Buffalo against New England since 2000, since week 16 of the 2000 season when Buffalo was a five and a half point favorite against New England. And they've only been favored twice since then against the Patriots. So big expectations for the Bills here this week. Well, both of these teams are coming off a week they'd like to forget. Uh, the difference is the Bills won their game and the Patriots were just embarrassed, which to me makes them dangerous, very dangerous. Um, the, the Bills, I I don't know, Adam. I mean, I, I follow this team, you know, I watch them religiously, and it's infuriating where – they sit there and say, well, we got to find a way to get the running game going. And I'm not a football coach, but I can tell them how to get the running game going. Every time they give the ball to Singletary or Moss, they're in the shotgun, and Allen hands it to the guy standing next to him. If you put Singletary or Moss back in the eye and get a running start where the kid can pick a hole, the running game will be fine. That being said, they got away with it against the Jets. Uh, Allen threw for 307 yards. And I, Trent Dilbert brought up a good point. If you remember the Raiders game out here, when Allen got knocked out of the game uh, right before halftime, uh, the, the Bills never said what it was, but Dilbert said he's convinced that he dislocated his left shoulder. It was his non-throwing shoulder. But he's been wearing a brace on his left shoulder, and he's been a little bit off since that play. And I thought that was a pretty good point by Dilfer over the weekend. Um the problem with the Patriots is, and they're both, Adam, this is, did we not say this? I, I said it a boatload last week, so I'm pretty sure I said it here as well, that the Patriots could be a little ATM machine for you here at halftime. If you play them, if they're playing with the lead, play them. If they're behind, fade them. Because I think if, if Newton's running and they're dinking and dunking and they're fine, they can run their offense. But if they're down and they become one-dimensional, you know, Newton can't bring you back, you know, through the air. And they don't, have, they don't stretch the field. And I think that remains in play. If, if New England's ahead at halftime, and Belichick's great at adjustments, play them. But if they're down 10, a 10, 13, 14 points, fade them because through the air, 
I just don't see New England doing a whole heck of a lot. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you mentioned Josh Allen going out and, and how he really hasn't looked the same since. Really, it's been the same thing for New England. You know, once Cam Newton got the positive COVID test, it seemed like it stopped any momentum that the Patriots had. You know, early on in the year, they looked pretty good running that offense, Newton in the quarterback run, different looks for the defense, stuff like that. You know, they I mean, look, we're talking about a team that was a yard away from beating Seattle just a few weeks ago. And now they're just a dumpster fire. They look terrible on offense. They did nothing against the 49ers really last weekend. So I'm not going to say that it's, you know, like some sort of residual COVID symptom or something like that for Cam, because I have no idea. But just whatever happened with that whole situation just kind of threw the Patriots for a loop. And they really haven't been able to respond to it and get back to any level of efficiency on offense. So you wonder here, can they do that against the Bills? Will they do that against the Bills? A Bills defense that has had a lot of injury problems this year. Matt Milano's missed a couple of games. Trey White missed a game, and he hasn't been fully healthy. Trey Edmonds, he was also out of the lineup for that game against Miami earlier in the year. The Bills defense hasn't looked super crisp either. Is this a get-right game for the Bills defense? Is this a game where the Patriots offense kind of figures it out? I think it's kind of a tough one. I think people are going to flock towards taking Buffalo because New England has looked so bad, but I don't know if I'm going to get involved in this game. Well, the, the one thing I would say from the Bills' defensive side of the ball, when they're healthy, Milano and Edmonds in the middle are space eaters, and, and they're the key. Milano did play last week. Edmonds is playing hurt. He's got a shoulder injury, which isn't fun for a guy that, you know, is getting a couple hundred tackles a year. Uh, the other issue that the Bills had, and they got away with it because it was the Jets, is they had literally gone to uh, the Meadowlands and – Leading right up to game time, they had one cornerback that they knew was playing. Uh, Trey White's been hurt. Uh, the safeties are okay. But the, the guys that actually came in, this Dane Jackson kid played well. But the Bills' defense, and, and not to give them a, pa- a pass because they've been hoard against the run, but the last couple of weeks they shored things up against the run. Um, but Buffalo's defense uh, has really been beset by injuries, which I think – bodes well for them down the road like people are off the train you know they were five and oh and uh okay they lose to tennessee and then as ugly as it was they were it was third and 14 and they had a chance to get the ball back down six against the chiefs and allen would had a chance to go down in the field and win that game when they were just awful that entire game and on a third and 14 jerry hughes goes inside and lets mahomes go outside for the first down so it's been kind of an ugly three weeks for the Bills, but I still think this is a team, and, and maybe it's a good thing that they're flying under the radar a little bit again. I guess the, the last question here, because we always talk about this in every game that Bill Belichick's part of, we know he isolates one thing and takes it away. What is the one thing that he tries to take away from Buffalo here? Is it digs? Is it... You know, maybe if Dawson Knox is able to come back from COVID, is it the tight end? Who, who does he try to take away in this game? Oh, it would absolutely be Diggs. Um, and honestly, Diggs had a very, very quiet game uh, against the Jets last week. I think the Jets kind of did the same thing. Now, John Brown being hurt on the other side has not helped. But if uh, since John Brown's been hurt, fantasy football players, the guy that's been lighting it up again, uh, underneath is Cole Beasley. 
I think he had 111 yards against the Jets, so he becomes an option. But the rookie is actually quite good, Gabriel Davis. But if you're Belichick, here's here's the here's the beauty of what Belichick maybe can do here is he's got Stephon Gilmore, so he could say, "I trust Gilmore to take digs away," and then he goes in and, and says, "Well." Right now, the Bills can't run the football. So Belichick actually has some options here. But the matchup, that's it, it, like a pay-per-view event, is Diggs versus Gilmore. Uh, Diggs had the, the one week where you thought the same thing was going to be in play was Diggs uh, against the Rams and Jalen Ramsey, and Diggs had a great day. But I think that was more of the Rams. Maybe we were playing a lot of zone that day, which negated the you know special player that Ramsey is. So... I, w- I would look for Gilmore heads up one on one with Diggs. And oh, by the way, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they might have had a little back and forth in the off season. Like Diggs was saying, I can't wait to go against Gilmore. So uh, I think that's certainly a matchup you're going to see. All right, let's see if uh, let's see if I at least have a stronger opinion here in the next game that we're going to touch on. And that's the Raiders taking on the Browns. And, you know, we talked about this last week. And in fact, we mentioned it already in passing a little bit earlier in the show that, you know, the Raiders beat Kansas City and then had a bye week. The Buccaneers beat the Packers. You know, Aaron Rodgers kind of gave that game away a little bit. But that line was pick them on the look ahead going into it. And then Tampa Bay winds up going to three very quickly. Then, of course, we get all the COVID cases with the Raiders offensive line and all that, and the line goes up three and a half, four. But, you know, you've got the Raiders here traveling to Cleveland, and this line's only Cleveland minus two and a half. Browns off of a nice come-from-behind win. The defense played terrible, but Baker made up for that awful interception on the first possession, and the Browns wind up getting 37 points and and really should have covered for everybody, pushed for three, didn't cover the three and a half because Cody Parkey missed the extra point. But what do you make of the fact here that the Raiders are not getting the full three going to Cleveland this week after not looking very good last week against Tampa Bay? Well, the one thing I would say to you, bud, and we've seen this a number of times this year, is if you didn't watch a football game and you woke up and you read the box score, you go, oh, these guys killed these guys, or the game was close when the game wasn't close. The Raiders, it was a one-possession game against the Patriots deep into the third quarter, and the Raiders had uh, Brady, I think it was third and 14, a chance to get off the field. They played the play right, forced him to do the check down, and the running back, you know, ran like eight yards and threw three guys and got the first down. And Gruden said that was the play of the game. And then all of a sudden, like that, Tampa tilts the field, rolls them. They make that one tackle. That's a game conceivably goes down to the wire. But people just go, oh, Tampa killed the Raiders. You know, the, don't forget, too, the Raiders had that entire week uh, where their offensive line didn't practice at all because of the COVID concerns. So, Again, this is a one week to the next thing where I think the Raiders, you know, could have a bounce back effort. And there's something about the Raiders too, Adam, I would just say to you that they play pretty good on the road. Um, They won at Carolina. Uh, It was an ugly effort at New England, but they beat the Chiefs on the road. And there's just something about some of these teams 
I think, have a different mentality the way they play the game, home and away. And if it's routine and bonding and you go on the road and the whole thing, I, it's a weird thing. And, it, you know, it's an intangible thing. I just think the Raiders play better on the road than at home. And I, th- I think this is a, a really interesting game. I, I, I can envision a bounce back effort for the Raiders. I think this is an interesting handicap for a variety of different reasons. You know, the Browns, I'm surprised at what the Browns did without Austin Hooper over the weekend, you know, because Austin Hooper winds up having an appendectomy. He's their best tight end, but then they use Harrison Bryant and David Njoku, who both have, you know, pretty good days for them. Both guys catching a touchdown pass Bryant with two of them. Actually, they lose Odell Beckham jr. In that game with torn ACL. And the, the thing about it is like, the Browns just have weapon after weapon after weapon. And Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt have done an excellent job with this offense. And we know that if the Raiders have a problem area, it's their defense. But we also know that the Raiders offense is very, very good. I don't know if this is, I don't know if they're still first or if they're second or third now, but going to last week's game, they were first in the NFL in percentage of possessions ending in points. I mean, they've been very, very good offensively. I'm surprised to see this total coming down a little bit. I know it was high at 55 and a half. And yeah, I got to check the weather on this one, but the Browns can't stop anybody. I mean, they're getting healthier in the secondary and they still don't look very good back there. So it's crazy to me to see this total coming down a little bit. But I've got to say to you though, and I got to plead, I have to plead ignorance. What was the point of the game? Beckham got hurt. Uh, It's pretty early. Okay. I'm, is he one of the few skill position players in the league that should be worth something in relation to the line? And, you know, you know we know it doesn't matter what running back you're putting in there. They're, they're good. Uh, and they do have weapons, but a lot of the, those guys are good because of the threat and the work you've got to do to cover a guy like Beckham. And maybe not so much this week, but in the weeks to come, these defensive coordinators are no dummy. Now that now they start, you know, doing the schematics for the Browns without a Beckham, and then they start to take away some of the other pieces. It may not rear its head this week, but in the weeks to come, might the Browns offense struggle a bit in his absence? Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. And also Jarvis Landry is not healthy at all. Uh, Jarvis Landry is dealing with multiple injuries. Uh, you know, he's throwing for touchdowns and throwing downfield a little bit, but you know, he's not really a huge factor in the receiving game. So that has, that is a little bit of a concern for the Browns to say the least without Nick Chubb, the running game hasn't been quite as potent with Wyatt Teller hurt. The running game hasn't been quite as potent. So yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, your devil's advocate point does make some sense there. It's just, again, you know, we, we, and I know that home field advantage isn't what it used to be in the past. And it really was trending downward anyway, but now with limited fans, the conveniences of modern-day travel and all these types of things, it's still surprising to me to see a team coming three time zones. You know, of course, there's the time change on Sunday morning, too. Don't forget about that, football fans. And uh, then going to, you know, what's going to be not a cold-weather city, but chilly enough to not see this line at three. Again, it just it really stands out to me for a variety of different reasons. And again, I don't know if I'm going to take Cleveland. I don't know if I'm going to take Vegas in this game. Uh, maybe look some more at the total here a little bit. But again, just not seeing this one at three maybe speaks to how advanced the betting markets have really gotten. Well, it's funny. I mean, just the way we're talking about it, it's almost like eh, maybe it's one to draw a line through. Uh, 
unless you say the weather's okay, and it would stand to reason that we'd see a lot of points here. The one thing you're not getting here is when stylistically these two teams play the same game. Uh, the, the Monday night game, it was part of the handicap. I played the under in the Monday night game with the Bears against the Rams, and you're like, well, who's going to dictate the game? And the Rams win the game, but they were playing the Bears game. And then, then it got hairy when the, the, you know, the, the Bears go for it on fourth and three from their own 15 in the last four minutes of the game. But even though the Bears didn't win the game, they dictated the way the game would be played. Both of these teams want to play up tempos. So good luck figuring out which one's the better one. One other game I want to touch on a little bit more in detail, and then we'll see if we have any other thoughts to, to finish up this video here. The Rams and Miami, 263-264. Rams, four-point favorite, making their fourth trip to the East Coast here so far. Total on this game, 46. So, again, looking for another lower-scoring game uh, out of the Los Angeles Rams here based on the line that's out there. But, Brian, you know, short week. The Rams are on the road again, fifth time in seven weeks. The long trip back east yet again. This looks like a spot to hammer Miami, but I have no idea what I get from Tua Tagovailoa in this game. I I couldn't tell you. I mean, the Rams, in terms of the East Coast travel, put 37 up on the Eagles. Uh, and uh, well, there was one other one. Oh, they won 30 to 10 against the Redskins. So, you know, take into account who they were playing, uh, the traveling thing. Ah, Usually we talk about it. Um, I'm not that concerned, but I'm right with you in terms of, yes, normally uh, in in the coming off a bye thing, uh, you know, that you're sitting there, well, well, that's got to be worth something too, but it's here two against the start. And, I don't know how you play the game with confidence. Maybe I would go the other way, be contrarian and say the over that the kid can run around and make some plays. Maybe he makes some mistakes. And I think the Rams are going to get their fair share of points. Maybe I'd lean and go contrarian against that total coming down to go over. My concern is, and we're not there that this kid either has looked so good in practice that it's not an issue but Brian Fitzpatrick has just driven me nuts for the better part of a decade and the guy finally wins me over where he's running around making plays he's a leader and the guys are playing for him and they're having fun and you're sitting there at three and three and you can make the case as of today they're still in the discussion to make the playoffs and then you all of a sudden make this move and what message does that send to the rest of the room unless Tua's look so great in practice that the players are on board with it? And we ain't going to know until they kick it off. Well, and that was the big question was, you know, logically speaking, when you look at the Dolphins heading into this season, you say, okay, if you're going to make that change after the bye week is probably the time to do it. But – Ryan Fitzpatrick gave no indication that this was the plan. As you said, they're right there in the thick of things. Fitzpatrick was blindsided by it, and he was upset. And and by and large, when you listen to his comments, he was distraught by the decision that they made. 
yeah, he, he took it. He took it very, very hard. And and maybe a team trades for him now uh, or something like that, or maybe they keep him around to try and mentor too. Well. I don't really know, but that's the question. Like you said, what what does this do in the room now? Where you know that long term, Tua is going to be your guy at some point. He's going to go in there. But you've played pretty well with Fitzpatrick. You're coming off of a significant win going into the bye that you know gives you the chance, as you said, to be in playoff contention. And now you're going to go to the unproven rookie kid who you know missed the second half of his last year in college with a very serious hip injury. I, that's the thing. I don't know how Miami looks coming out here. I really don't. And again, situationally, off a of bye, fourth trip east, the Rams looked tired in that game against San Francisco that they lost two weeks ago. They looked like a team that was running on empty from all the travel. This felt like a good fade spot, and now maybe it just isn't. I'll tell you one thing. I won a bet. I'm doing a sportsbook radio with Stevie Slapshot. Great guy, Steve. And I won the bet. And I said yesterday, I said, you watch. I'm, I'm, I've never... I don't get it. It happens every week. I said, there will come a point tonight where McFay will just absolutely waste the timeout. At the 813 mark of the first quarter, he did it. It's got to, you watch, the Rams are going to blow a game because of timeout mismanagement. They just squander timeouts. Like they might as well just start with none. It's it's an incredible thing. It sounds like a nothing burger. You watch as tight as that NFC West is. The Rams are going to blow a game because of that timeout stuff. It drives me insane. Oh, I'm I'm sure they will. Matt Nagy used his well, didn't use his timeouts effectively uh, in last night's game either. It's just it, it's crazy. I, I agree with you. Just coaching in general around the NFL leaves something to be desired, but timeout usage is is definitely one of those things. So we went in deeper detail here about the Patriots, Bills, the Raiders, Browns, and then also the Rams and Dolphins. Before we finish up this highlight video, Brian, and transition over to golf for a few minutes, let's give the listeners something that – the listeners and the viewers here – something that is more of a play for us, something that we are looking to pick or maybe have already played. Anything on that list for you here? Oh, boy. Uh, in terms of doing the deep dive – The Chargers at Denver, it would be easy to say, well, uh, the Chargers, that offense and the Herbert kid looks really good. And in Denver, you know, Locke was horrid, horrid against Kansas City. That Denver defense isn't bad. It's almost like a zigzag thing. I, I think I'd be looking at Denver as a home dog in a division game here. Again, this is a number one week to the next. And, yes, and believe me, I think the Herbert kid looks terrific. But, you know, that was the Jags you were shredding. And Denver was playing Kansas City. You know, just based on that flop around, I'd take the home dog. I I like that one, too. That's exactly where I was going to go. I I like Denver again this week. I know I was on Denver last week against Kansas City and didn't work out in my favor. But also, Denver threw a pick six. They gave up a kick return touchdown. They outgained Kansas City 411 to 286. Yards per play were 5.6 for the Chiefs to 5.4 for the Broncos. You run that back, and that's a game that, you know, should fall within the number where Denver was getting nine and a half, ten. So there was another play, but they did a, a stupid flea flicker. And on the toss back to the quarterback, you know, 
Gordon just like throws it right over, right over the quarterback's head and just hands him another touchdown. And, and Locke was just a mess. I mean, but I'm telling you, it's a pretty good two-headed monster with Lindsey and Gordon. Uh, it's not bad. And I like Denver's defense. I, they're not going to wow you, but there are going to be games during the course of the year where Denver's going to be a midfall, and I think this is one of them. And the one thing I will say, and I saw a lot of this buzz on Twitter here this morning with Anthony Lynn and throwing more on first down and some of the different things that the Chargers did in that game against Jacksonville where they weren't as predictable with their play calling as they usually are. Maybe that was a one-game blip. Maybe that's something that they're going to stick with. But still, I think Denver in this spot here, I do like them, uh, certainly. And I hope I, hope I get three and a half. There are some minus threes at $1.20 out there. Maybe a three and a half shows up by the time the contest lines get posted uh, or as we kind of wait around on this game a little bit. One other one that, that really caught real, my eye. Real, real quick, I'm looking this up, if I can. Real quick. Let me just see something here. Uh, the Chargers running game, to me, at some point, that's going to rear its head. And... Yeah, I mean, listen, the Joshua Kelly kid and Justin Jackson, Herbert was the leading rusher with 66 yards. You know, I mean, that injury in the backfield for them was was a killer losing Eckler. But, again, you're likely going on the road, and if you become one-dimensional, he's going to do a few good things. But believe me, I think Herbert – Herbert's going to struggle in this game because the, the Chargers have no running game, none. And they put 39 points up. They're like, oh, this Chargers offense. Yeah, that was a function of who they were playing. They can't run the ball. Oh, excellent thoughts. A lot of excellent thoughts from Brian Blessing, who also has some video breakdowns for us on our ATS YouTube page. More thoughts on Falcons and Panthers. Also a look at 49ers, Seahawks, and Steelers, Ravens. So you can check out those videos right here on our ATS YouTube page. And make sure you listen to the full broadcasts of ATS Radio, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, Brian, with that, we transition away from the NFL. Just spend a couple of minutes here talking about the Bermuda Championship, which, again, you also did a video for over on our ATS YouTube. But... Very weak field here in Bermuda this week. We're in Houston next week. The Masters comes up right after that. Uh, what do you do in these weaker fields, Brian? Are you just taking some long shots here in Bermuda? Well, no, I, I mean, if they're, they're the guys I think you contend and the, the prices are actually deflated for some of the guys I've selected. But the problem is the favorite in the event is Will Zalatoris. Will Zalatoris is trying to get FedEx Cup points to keep his card or or to get exemptions in the tournaments. He's going to. He only needs like three points, and he's played really well. But this guy's the favorite, and he's just trying to stay on the tour. Brendan Todd, defending champ, his plays tailed off a little bit. Uh, And then all of a sudden you go to Harold Varner, Christopher Ventura, Doc Redman. I mean, some of these names, Emiliano Grillo. Uh, the thing I'm looking forward to watch, I have no life. You know that. I bet and watch the European tour, and this is probably going to be the first time anybody's seen or heard 
of Rasmus Hogard. He's 40 to 1. Adam, this kid was born December 3rd, 2001. If my math is right, that means he's still 18 years old. <laughs> he has two wins, a second and a third on the European tour. The kid, nobody even knows who he is. And he's coming over here making his PGA Tour debut. And in this field, there ain't no reason he can't contend. Uh, although it's a different game. They've been playing in crummy weather and more link style. Well, it actually, I wouldn't say link style. Some of these courses that you can still flag on. But I'm going to be very intrigued to see how the kid handles uh, this moment. He's catching the right field. And a lot of times when you get this Bermuda tournament, too, the wins can be a thing. So you want a guy, guys that are good ball strikers. The other two guys, I think a guy like Henrik Norlander at 45 to 1 is a guy who could take the next step against a field like this. And flying under the radar is a guy I think plays really good. And he's close to taking the next step. And again, with this field, maybe a guy like Sepp Strack in the 55, 60 to 1 range. Well, in this course here, Port Royal Golf Course, shorter course, only a par 71, but it's only about 6,800 and change in terms of yardage. So you don't have to have big bombers for this event. Yep. And as you look at it, too, it kind of is more of that Lynx European-style format. Again, Port Royal, I think it's part of – I think I saw it's like part of the Troon family of golf courses, so like mm -hmm. Royal Troon. It is a lot more like a European course. It's very – you know, it's very flat, not very tree line. There are some link style bunkers and kind of some undulations and stuff like that. Wind can be a big factor. So a guy like Hogard makes sense. A guy like Danny Willett at 50 to one even makes some sense. Russell Knox, uh, Brandon Grace, some of those guys, some of the guys that are more equipped to playing this European tour style of golf. I think may, it may make some sense for them. You think about a guy like Brandon Todd winning last year, Brandon Todd hits fairways is good on approach. He doesn't hit the ball a mile like a lot of these guys do. You know, it's kind of a – it's less sexy of a profile, but it's the types of styles that win you tournaments in these windy areas. Pat Perez plays very well in coastal courses because he hits fairways, puts it on the green, one putts or two putts, and gets on with his day. So, you know, there are some guys, I think, down the board you can take a little bit of a look at here this week. Uh, Ollie Schneider-Johns has played very well over on the European Tour a few years ago, he was the top player on the PGA Tour in par four scoring. He's a guy I like kind of at 80 to one there. Another guy that I kind of took a little bit of a look at, Ryan Armour in the 150 to one range or so. He's a guy that just hits a bunch of fairways. Older player, nothing sexy about his game, anything like that. But I think this is a tournament where you can take some shots because the guys up at the top are really promising, like a Doc Redman, who's a great ball striker, but he's also got to get over that hump and win something. You know? All you need to know, okay, is in the Breeders' Cup's coming up. And in horse racing, you find a maiden, you know, uh, first race, 35 to 1. And the horse gets cut off or bobbles at the break and then comes roaring up. And you're going, oh, I had the right horse. I had poor racing luck. But the horse was 35 to 1. Well, everybody saw what happened. And then the next race, the horse comes back and he wins a two-to-one. That's not how you want to play the game. This golf tournament is like horse racing because Brendan Todd is 14-to-one. I don't know for a fact. Uh, anybody wants to do the lookup, go ahead. I can virtually guarantee you that Brendan Todd was 125-to-one last year 
when he won this tournament. And what a difference a year makes, now he's 14 to 1. So this is that type of tournament where someone gets their career going. Oh, yeah, it's, that's an excellent point. I absolutely agree with you. And again, full FedEx Cup point event here. The prize purse is kind of small, but full FedEx Cup points and a Masters invite if you win. So maybe you want to look for guys for that year. aren't in the Masters. Oh, it's for next it's year? For next year. Oh, okay, for next. Well, it, well, next year's Masters will be in April again, right? Hopefully. Well, two Masters in five months. Ooh, sounds like fun. Sounds yeah. like a whole lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun here on our two Tuesdays. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. It is always a lot of fun here on our Tuesday editions of ATS Radio with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours? Uh, the shows are live noon to two, kshp.com. You can listen live there. I archive the shows at sportsbookradio.com. Put the links out on my Twitter, um, at Brian Blessing. And Sportsbook Radio, we have great fun uh, with you know, some of the top sports book directors in town today. We'll have uh, Tony Neville from Treasure Island, Tony Miller from the Golden Nuggets. It's Tony's Tuesday. And uh, Vegas Hockey Hotline, if you're a hockey fan, you'll like the show. Uh, put it that way. If you're a hockey fan, you'll like the show. It is a great show, and uh, you do a lot of great work for us over on our ATS YouTube page as well. Make sure you follow Brian on Twitter, at Brian Blessing. Brian, appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great week, bud. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Sportsbookradio.com, KSHP.com, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. On Wednesday, we'll chat with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper from HunterSportsPicks.com about some college football matchups for this week, as well as the NFL. Thursday, college football and NFL with Brad Powers from BradPowersSports.com. Friday, Circus Sports Million Picks, uh, my thoughts for week eight. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.